We have a special guest for you today before we talk about some unfortunate injury news and before we talk about the outlook for the rest of this season on today's edition of Locked On Seminoles. Let's ride. You are Locked On Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to another edition of Locked on Seminoles. What's up, everybody? It's your boy Drake here, and today, not only do I have Dave in the stream yard, but we have an old friend coming back, as I'm now seeing him playing around with his piece of paper. I think he's ready to come on in. Max, are you ready? Yes, he is, and here he's back, our best friend and the homie, Mr. Maximus Mudicus. Max, what's going on, my guy? Not much, man. Not much at all. Just um, it's Tuesday morning, seven fifteen. I've I've had a chance to digest the loss a bit, and I, I wanted to come commiserate with my friends, as is the reason we started this whole adventure. What two and a half years ago at this point? Not two and a half, but a little over two years ago. We were we were at a low point. And we said, "Hey, let's uh let's share our feelings with the world," and it it felt right to do that again. So it's good to be here, boys. No, I mean, it's great to have you here. I mean, obviously, folks, you know, you see Max over there on the Seminole Executive Brief as well, where he does the short form, uh, I think, three times a week as well. And that's something that basically you also check out Max's Math Corner. While I'm not the biggest numbers guy, definitely helps actually break down probably a lot of the smaller kind of minute details kind of basically about the game. Uh, before we go over to the Trayshawn Ward news, Max, give us one and a half minutes, two minutes tops. What were your meetings of the game? Because you actually were there. So I kind of wanted to see what was your kind of they said as you take me able to take a step back since Saturday night. How have you felt overall about the game? Yeah, so so y'all can go watch Seminole Executive Brief. We give our our five moments that mattered. Talk about where the game um, went well, went awry. Obviously, it's the last play. Uh, everyone's heard a rant about that, so um, I will spare y'all that as well. I, I think for me, it's just all your chickens came home to roost, and it it's it felt very much like 2014 Oregon where. There were there have been a lot of things we've ignored about this team because they were four and zero. It doesn't mean they were a bad team. They look they still beat LSU. They still went four and zero. But we kind of knew like there were some warts that we were ignoring, primarily the injury issues, and all of it kind of just crashed out on you at once. Right? You ended up with a wildcat quarterback that I think got like five and a half yards per carry on you. Uh, the defense did stand tall at certain points. Like there was that interception on our second to last drive. They forced a field goal, but you still let their kicker peg four field goals. I mean, it's just, it's frustrating. And the drops, I mean, guys, that's what we said all preseason was, this is a great receiver core if they can catch and they didn't catch the ball. Like it's just, it's football 101 when you're playing quarterback and your receivers start dropping the ball, you're going to start losing confidence. And Finally, we saw the offensive line kind of be who we were afraid they would be against good D-lines two weeks in a row. I, I get some guys are banged up, but you have to be able to move people out of the way. Trey Benson, I think, averaged around four yards a carry. Three and a half of those were after contact. So I guess that's just kind of my my overall takeaway on the game was none of these were like new what-the-heck-happened mistakes. We had just kind of only seen them interspersed and separate from each other. And all of a sudden, it all just culminated at once, and you lost a game by two points to a team on the road. Yeah, Max, it's funny you say that because obviously you 
talk a lot about golf too. Um, and it's like you, you had some bad shots throughout the first four games and they never really mattered because you end up recovering and, you know, burning the hole or whatever. But it, it, it just felt an awful lot like that. You're right. It, what, what I find interesting that you said the injury news or the injury bug that we've ignored. It's funny because in this game, Drake went and looked up the uh, offensive line stats and the offensive line actually played fairly well. For pass blocking. The, for yeah, pass the pass blocking. blocking was incredible. We had we had three guys who played all three snaps and who all did not allow a pressure, which is which is pretty wild when you think about it. 37 dropbacks. For this offensive line, yeah. And all the injuries we sustained on the defensive line, they didn't give up a touchdown after uh, after Devin Leary went out. And before that, they didn't allow much of anything. So Well, they did. I want to clarify. They did have to commit a pretty egregious personal foul to injure him. I mean, they hit him as he was throwing the ball, which we all know now in football you can't do. So I I'm, I actually was ashamed our team would commit such a ridiculous foul. But right. let's it, – It is, of course, uh, roughing the passer to hit the quarterback when he still has the football. Everybody yeah. knows that. Especially if his name's Devin Leary. It's the right. ACC. Sorry right. to interrupt. <laughs> Those are I, folks. I do the short form. I, I don't get to say snarky things like this on mine because I have to keep it so tight for y'all. So you know, here's where I uh, I get to eat the pizza, so to speak. You know, not not too worried about keeping eat, it tight on the, the show. Eat the pizza. Yeah, you know, it's like I'm on I'm on a strict diet all week, and here I get to have some pizza, crack open a soda. Heck, at the commercial break, I might break no soda October and go grab the Mountain Dew in my fridge. Who knows? Um, oh, how, you, have you really lasted 11 days without soda? I have. In there, I uh, no, I, I take it back. I had one regular Coke uh, Saturday morning because I was I was tired, and I don't drink coffee. But um, it, let me ask you all this. When you go back and watch it, because I, I wasn't watching on TV, and it's hard to see in the rewatch, objectively, how bad was the officiating? Because I, I know it's a really common Twitter complaint, but w- were we looking undisciplined, or, or was it really were all the calls as bad as that Devin Leary call? I don't think it was undisciplined. I think it's more the fact that, I mean, the officiating was pretty bad, but it wasn't to the point like, I don't think we lost the game because of that. I mean, also, we're kind of used to pretty bad officiating from a seat crew. This one, like, to me, egregiously, the, the Dylan Gibbons one, if you look at the play, like, I do know that the guy kind of does bring him down, but also Dylan is kind of blocking him after the whistle. So I think that's one of those, like, let me get this play to see if I can like, get away with this. And Lyman did, and that was kind of smart of him. And then with Josh Farmer roughing the passer, that's, that's one of those where, like, it is high, but, like, it's – if he held on to the ball, he probably wouldn't have called that. That was also a bad call. But other than that, there was some egregious missed DPIs, especially one like, number 11, like, kind of held Akeem Dent. Akeem Dent didn't have a pretty good game – didn't have a game at, good, good game at all. He actually has been pretty bad the past two weeks. But the officiating, while it was bad, it wasn't the reason why we lost the game. Max, I said yesterday, uh, there were any number of reasons why we could have independently lost the game. It's tough to say which one it was. It was probably a little bit of everything. The officiating didn't help. Um, The one thing, if you're a conspiracy theorist, that I found fascinating is that the officials decided, screw it. We're going to call everything on NC State, and we're going to do it on this here one drive where they're starting on the Seminoles' 13-yard line. Yeah, what, a fourth and 40? Fourth and 40. Who cares how many penalties we call? Um, they still get a field goal out of it, but it doesn't really matter. We'll just chunk up NC State's penalty yards, and it'll make it look like, hey, this was fairly officiated. If you're a conspiracy theorist, there's your proof. Yeah, and, and let me say this. I know I said I wasn't going to talk about it too much, but whatever. What we ju- what you just said, Dave, is so insightful. Everything was going wrong at, from different directions, which will be why I always have such an issue with that last play. I want to clarify. The last play was not a horrible play call, right? It was not like, what the hell were you? But when everything's going wrong, 
stop taking risks. Like, you know what I mean? When you're just getting battered at blackjack, the slots aren't working, the crabs table's taking you down, and the ponies aren't winning for you, maybe just take your chips, go to the teller, and cash them in. I'm not saying run two yards just for the field goal, but call some safer stuff. Call some things where in that moment, maybe it's not as much of a gamble. Because if one of like six or seven things go wrong on that play, the result is bad for you. So pick a play where there's only two or three things that can make the play go wrong for you. Especially on a night where everything's going wrong and you had the opportunity to straight up escape with a win. Like that wouldn't have been a decisive win. That was an escape. And you just, you kept rolling the dice. So anyway. I mean, part of that's also like Jordan has to make a better read though too. And like well, Jordan, Jordan made a great read. So the last play of the game. Yeah. So the way you read that play. All right. No whiteboard back here, but that's a leverage read. So what happens is Jordan comes out and he's looking at two things. He looks at his man that he wants and he says, okay, where's the leverage on the DB? Is he showing inside or outside? Because that's not a route where you're going up for the ball. That's a route where a guy, that's why it's to Pittman, by the way, that's where you want a guy who's sturdy like Pittman to catch the ball about here because he's using leverage to on a guy to the outside. That's why the ball was intercepted about a yard into the end zone. So Jordan's looking at what's over the top, where's the leverage? There was nothing over the top. So you have a man-on-man look, the DB showing inside leverage. Ball snapped, the DB hops to outside leverage and redirects him to the inside. So Jordan doesn't have really time to see that as he's getting the play set up because he's already made a throw-no-throw decision based on the leverage he's seeing. What bothers me is you already called that exact same play earlier in the day. And after a defensive timeout, you give them a look they've already seen with a play you've already you know, scored that, a touchdown on. That, that I can definitely agree with. That's also and, where I was kind of like thinking, like, you should go with the other option. which was Johnny going. Wilson, one-on-one on the bottom of the screen. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, but again, what, what that defender did, I mean, go watch Alex Atkins' interview about it, and he's right. I mean, it was a, it was a perfectly called defensive play. Like, you throw that ball 95% of the time because that, that's literally the look you're looking for on that play, right? It's like saying, I want ice cream. You walk into the store, there's ice cream. You open it up, and it's sour cream. Sorry, yeah. language on the show. Are we live? We're not live, are we? No. But it's it's kind of that equivalent. Where it, I mean, it was a beautiful call by the defender. It wasn't a horrible play call. And you're right. If Jordan maybe a maybe a better better quarterback sees that jump and switches, but Jordan's a pretty good college quarterback. He's not Peyton Manning. So again, call a higher percentage play where he doesn't even have to make those kinds of risks. Yeah, I want to give one person credit. Jason Staples' podcast did talk about something that I liked uh, on that particular play, which is. If you throw that ball to Johnny Wilson, it's not just that he's tall. It's that the uh, the likelihood of it being intercepted one on one with a guy that's six seven is just so much lower. So it's not the even. He gave him like eight yards of cushion too. Like he had right. a lot more yeah. like room too. Like just, play with totally Toss it to him right after the snap and let him try to break a tackle. I mean that that's a high percentage play. But that's know? what I'm saying. Call a play where that's his primary read. Don't put him in a situation where that's his third read because I agree with you. That's the smart decision. So call something where your guy on the left, where you've got Micah Pittman, you know, working himself under. Maybe you have a clear out on the left side, but, but make Johnny the primary read because at that point, guys, there's 129 starting FBS quarterbacks. There's 32 in the NFL. Two or three of them are rookies. The point I'm making is that at the college level, you don't have the QB play that you have at the NFL. You have to know that as a college coach and at a certain point, take the ball out of their hands to a degree. That is your job as a college offensive coordinator, is not to make it complicated. It is to say in certain situations, let's make this as unscrew-upable as we possibly can. And a way to do that is to make a guy like Johnny Wilson your primary read. Give him a throw that if you're taking a shot, it goes out of the back of the end zone or something like that. But let me ask you all this. Another situational awareness issue. What happens if that pass is incompleted? You run it. 
and then to the middle of the field. And but but what's the down and distance? It'll be, it'll be third and 10. Third and 12, right? So why are you taking your shot on second down? Because on third and 12, now you're going to have to throw it or you're, you're giving Ryan Fitzgerald an even longer kick. That was your play to get a few extra yards and then decide shot or play it safe for the field goal. He jumped the gun too early, and, and I just don't understand the decision. No, I mean, the second half play calling was uh, was pretty much abysmal. I think it's a nice way to put it. And it's uh, kind of funny because I think we talked about it yesterday, Dave and I, where I called it soft, and then ironically the last play of the game was not soft. It was actually the complete and under opposite overall was extremely, extremely aggressive, highly unnecessary, and it's a primary reason why I know why he lost the game, why I don't have to play call. The execution was bad, but also it's kind of one of those things where I do agree with you. Why are you putting – Jordan didn't have a good second half. He really didn't. So the why you're kind of putting him in the last play of the game, and then also you see with Jordan – his body language and like it's just you can tell it was just not right. There was a huge disconnect between him and Mike Norvell. And that's something where you need to be on the same page as your quarterback. And that's your job as the head coach to basically be able to communicate with him and also for both of you guys guys to understand where you move forward offensively with the game script. But we know Dave was not soft and was not, you know, non aggressive. Tell me what's not soft, Drake. <laughs> and that's our friends over at Upside. Upside is the app that helps you over at the pump. Dave. Used use that before, right? I don't use it before. I still use it, and I use it every time I get gas. Guys, you open this app when you get gas. It's called Upside. It tells you if you're at a participating gas station. If you're not, it'll tell you where the closest one is. You select it. It'll show you the discount on your gas. The discount being what you get in cash back per gallon just for using the app. There's there's really no catches. You would think there is, but there's not. It's super easy to get your money out through PayPal and to your bank account, or I think there's like gift cards really easy you're gonna get the gas anyways there is literally no reason not to get upside guys so download the free upside app today and use promo code locked to l-o-c-k-e-d and you'll get five dollars or more cash back on your first purchase of ten dollars or more that's five dollars or more cash back on your first purchase of ten dollars or more by using promo code locked l-o-c-k-e-d start making that money start cashing with their gas with their friends over at upside all right, now that we have closed the book on NC State, even though right. Max, I know you had a great time with our friend Jordan over there, kind of visiting the Raleigh Art of Family Stadium. You, I mean, it's a pre-pro, I say pre-show that the stadium renovations—they look great, they look awesome. But now we look forward to Clemson, and one of the big things we need to look at is what you've coined the Kerberos attack. I think is how you pronounce it correctly. Kerberos, yes. Kerberos. There's a C out. One more shout out uh, to to Evan of the Red White Pod um, from NC State. Thank you for. Uh, Taking a minute to to let us hang out with y'all, show us around the stadium, and uh, I went there ten years ago. One of the worst experiences of my life, but uh, I will say they've they've learned to be a little better. Um, and the NC State fans, uh, thank you to the ones I met. They, they they were pretty nice folks. I mean, genuinely, um, it sucks to lose, but it, it was a much better experience than I had ten years ago. So um, really, really appreciate the NC State fans out there for uh, the, the the maturity y'all have gained in your uh, your newfound success. Screw all those fans, uh, Drake. <laughs> tell tell me about uh tell me about our rushing attack because I don't really want to talk for a second about NC State's fans. I hate all of those people. Yep, let's close. Like I said, close the book. We are done with those people. Trayshawn Ward. We saw Trayshawn. Yeah. See, there's the soda of sober October that did not last very long. Trayshawn Ward mm. posted from Instagram that he actually is in the hospital. We saw that he left the game early against Clemson, and then we saw immediately kind of the running game be kind of a shell become a shell of his former self. And then we saw Trey Benson, like Max was saying, he was struggling. However, Trey Sean Ward has the best vision and patience out of all three backs. 
and now he'll he may come he may be available on Saturday per Mike Norvell. I don't know when typically when I see a hospital get in a hospital gown, he might be playing with the harness moving forward. Dave, what is the loss of Tration Ward? If there's a loss of Tration Ward mean for this team as a whole? I would have had a very different answer to this question and until I've seen his performance throughout this year so far. I mean, we've played a half a season and you've seen enough Treshawn Ward to know he is the best running back on our football team. All the stuff about him being a walk-on and everything, that needs to be forgotten because that's not who Treshawn Ward is. Uh, that kid has been incredible for the last season and a half now. And losing him, I think, I think it's going to close up the opportunities for the running game a bit until you reestablish it. Because if I'm other teams, uh, I'm not quite as worried. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm either going to just funnel in to stop the run and prove a point and make you one dimensional, which Clemson's defense is very capable of doing, for example, or if you're showing that you're not able to run, if we're being ineffective, like we were in that second half uh, running the football it's going to make it really easy for other teams or a lot easier to stop our passing game. Like it's going to look harder for our passing game to look like the first four games than, and, and even Wake Forest to, to a degree than this NC state game. If you don't have Trayshawn Ward successfully carrying the ball for what is he averaging six and a half yards a carry this year or something like I that. I believe so. Yeah. That you can't replace that. Um, Trey Benson has been good at times this year. Lawrence, Lawrence Toafili has served a purpose but those guys at this point are complementary to Trayshawn Ward and losing him. You're going to have to get really creative with your play calling because you're not just going to be able to do the dive plays and watch Trayshawn make something happen. He's averaging 6.8 yards a carry. That's so nearly a seven yards a carry. We were wondering how like if he would be able to step into the role of Jayshon Corbin when he left. And you're kind of seeing that overall that basically, well, he doesn't have the breakaway home run speed of a Jayshon Corbin. That's probably the one thing that he does lack overall in this game. Yep. He does have patience. He is great with his hands receiving as a receiving back, but also he he sees every single hole and vision down the field. It's like very, it's like very chess worthy when he makes his moves out in the open field. Yeah, just the last thing I'll say about that is the offensive line has not been great in run blocking. Um, that was the case. That's a very, last nice, that's a very kind way to put it. Right. That was the case last year, but Jayshon Corbin and Trayshon Ward were able to overcome that. They performed well in spite of the bad run blocking. Well, you're seeing again this year that that's what's having to happen. So if you take out your, your running back who has the best vision and patience um, and who's making things happen in spite of bad run blocking, I don't know. You're going to, like I said, you're going to have to get creative because Trayshawn War, or Trey Benson is great at breaking tackles, but he's going to need to break a lot of tackles just to get three yards every time. Um, and that's not what our running game's been. It's sorry, been team. I, I'm sorry. I don't have my computer in front of me in the new steps. I've been trying to use my phone to find stats. Um, I, I'm actually not as worried about this as I should be for two reasons. One, because Treshawn Ward um, is an amazing back. He's good at making people miss to a degree. But again, Trey Benson leads the nation of missed tackles forced. Mm -hmm. Even, I mean, he's great at forcing missed tackles. He's pretty darn good at yards after contact too. Mm -hmm. You also have Rodney Hill. Rodney Hill on 12 carries is averaging six yards an attempt. He's not going to be a replacement for Trayshawn Ward, but maybe we can replace him in the aggregate because you do have some weapons. I mean, I think Lawrence Toafili takes on a bigger role. I think Rodney Hill comes in. I think Trey Benson can be more of a body blow guy. It may look a little different, but I, I maybe I'm an optimist. I'm not so sure your overall rushing efficiency goes down substantially because of this loss. I don't think it stays exactly where it is, 
But I don't know if you're talking about like a full yard, yard and a half per carry amongst the team as much as you're talking about a few more frustrating stuffs with a couple moments where you're like, oh, okay, well, that still worked out. Rodney Hill got free. To, uh, to Philly made a guy or two miss. And, uh, you know, Trey Benson ran three people over and got 27 yards on that carry. So uh, what I'm a little more interested in on this is you talk about Norvell and Jordan on the sidelines kind of arguing. And, and by the way, not a professional lip reader, but my diagnosis of the one argument I was able to see in the condensed game, I think Mike Norvell being the analytics guy was telling him basically like, hey, keep going to him. And Jordan's like, they're not catching the ball. You know, what I'm a little more concerned about is do y'all find it odd that Mike Norvell literally said earlier in the day, hey, Treshawn's tough. Treshawn's going to do whatever Treshawn needs to get back. Like Treshawn may play this weekend. And then Treshawn himself posts a picture of him in the hospital, basically saying like, nope, not playing this weekend. I mean, you do know this is the same guy that publishes a depth chart that had Amara Gaynor on it for the past four weeks, and he would and never talk about it. I mean, yeah. like it's it's something that like now it's not only him; it's a lot of newer college head coaches where they don't really they don't have injuries period whatsoever. Like if someone's out, unless someone's yeah. like legitimately out for the entire season, they're not going to say anything about it. It's but it's probably, the blatant it's, contradiction. It's not it's not Norvell not saying anything. It's Norvell saying he like implying he may be back, and then Treshawn posting like Treshawn could have also stayed silent. Yeah, I mean, but like, also, like, maybe just Trayshawn also. I know, I, to get what you're saying, maybe he's like, hey, maybe he's just getting an x-ray. Maybe he's trying to flex, you know, in the hospital. I mean, he looked good in the hospital gown for the grand. He did look good. My I mean, he's good. just flexing. Th- he does pull off the hairnet. There's another option here. Could be misdirection. Uh, could be trying to make Clemson guess what we're doing at running back. Uh, and I don't have a problem if that's what they're doing. Um, that would be some CIA-level psych ops, buddy. I, now, I've wondered why they don't do that more often. Like, if I were Mike Norvell on Wednesday, I'd come out with – I'd I'd go – eye drops you know i'd come out to the media and be like you guys may have heard that jordan suffered a torn ligament in his knee today it's going to be really tough but we trust tate rodemaker and then i'd be like sneaking him in the side door for practices and stuff and roll him out there like right. let tate get out there for like the first two drives and have jordan come running out of the locker room but like, all right let's do this but that's just me right well this i'm cool with the psych ops the, there is i think one other unintended consequence of if Treshawn Ward is injured and can't play, which is, I think one of the ways you replace his rushing production is with Jordan Travis. And I think the lack of a dynamic running quarterback this year, not not that Jordan isn't one, but he hasn't been asked to be one really. Anytime you add that, that creates a new dimension to an offense. You're having to account for another guy running the football. That just that just changes the way the defense has to look at you. And if they're having to keep a guy spying Jordan, that's going to open things up for him. So I actually wouldn't mind that if that first half of that NC State game, albeit when Treshawn wasn't injured, is a signal that, hey, maybe we're going to try to wrinkle this in more to the offense because we haven't done much of any of it this year. No, at all. And I think, like, Max, I think you texted in a group chat like a few weeks ago where, like, Jordan, like you can tell, he never attempted to run, like, at all period for the thing for the first four games. Now he did hurt, hurt himself against Louisville. He did get the giant knee brace against Boston College, but it felt like when the knee brace came off, it's like, okay, y'all have seen the passing Jordan Travis. Now let's also implement the running QB to basically have both of that. And so he could take a step from a very good, good QB to an elite QB in the country. And that's something where you watch the NC State game. There are times where he just like, he feels like he still doesn't trust like his leg fully yet to kind of pull and actually make the runoff, even though he did look really, really nice on 71 yard run. He did average overall, I think, six yards per carry for six carries probably for the rest of the game. But that was all in the first half. So the second half, it's like it's whether or not he's not, he's being told not to run or whether he's not pulling it. It feels like I don't know the connection there. I don't know which one is which because it just feels like it's not only absent, but it's like being discouraged at a point. 
Yeah, I, I think it's a I, th I think it's a math thing again, right? I think mathematically he's been very successful uh, passing the ball, and I think our running game has been very successful running the ball to a degree that there's kind of this hesitancy of like you don't need to only use this if we really need it. But I, I agree. I think on Saturday was a time when you needed it. Not to go back to just that last play, but that whole last drive, I would have been uh, look at the Syracuse last drive last year. I would have had every play where Jordan has an option to run it because you know they're looking for pass. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not in his head. Um, he looked healthier. He looked really good on that 70-yard run. But, yeah, I, I do think there is definitely a much more trepidatious Jordan Travis out there when it comes to running. And I don't, I don't know if that's coaching, if it's him wanting to improve a draft stock, um, us not needing it yet this year. But if you're going to, if you look, if you're going to beat Clemson, you need every weapon you possibly have. And, and Jordan Travis running the ball is, is going to be one of them. No, I completely agree. But Dave, Max, you do know what's a core weapon for everyone's automobile collection. Oh, I already know. Tell me, Drake. It's our friends over at Nissan. Our partners at Nissan have worked with us to create a new segment across the locked on calls network titled thrilling moments, where we hide the most exciting play from the Seminoles weekend game or throughout the history of our alma mater this week's thrilling moment for the team is dave since you're the thrilling moment guy from this game what do you think was the most thrilling game from the first half overall it was the most thrilling moment from this game okay it, it was it was the jordan travis run um i just didn't expect that i didn't i just thought we wouldn't see him run the ball this year and i i just i just could not seeing a quarterback run it that far is what other teams always have done to us historically going back to like a quarter century and so it, it's just good to see that that's still in there i will throw one more thing in though no 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 then the next one's for max because i want not so to fast sweetheart exactly the most thrilling because... moment of that first half unquestionably without a doubt was fitz magic hitting a 47 yard because you both played baseball i play a lot of golf we have all been in a slump and there is no better feeling than when you're just slicing drive after drive round after round you're like terrified on that first tee box and then eventually you just connect with one you're like we are back baby and watching the team pick him up and celebrate with him that was in the truest sense of the word a thrilling moment because ultimately these are college kids they wear the garnet and gold we love florida state and they're the ones that we are supporting so seeing him hopefully maybe not forever but in that moment Break his slump with a long field goal was enthralling for me. You said thrilling moments, not miraculous moments, but you no, know, no, those, those are both, those are both, those are both equal. Yeah. I know the next one to go was probably the Micah Pittman catch because that was a very difficult no, catch. no, okay. very, very understated play. Did, did anyone see DJ Lundy form tackle the NC State's running back? In yes, the he, he, yeah, he baptized the kid, and I'm pretty sure the kid actually was actually out for the rest of the game overall. That was probably one of the more beautiful oh. things that I've seen for a little bit. Um, but folks. This segment has been inspired by a thrill new designs featured across all the Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all-new Frontier, Armada, or Pathfinder today. Your boy's first car was Nissan Altima. I rode that down to the ground, and now it's over in Panama for my cousins to use as well on their farm. And it's, trust me, the Nissans, they last forever. They're great cars, so, and all those are available now at NissanUSA.com. All right, gentlemen, we're now towards the end of the show. Very quickly, let us look towards the outlook for the rest of the season. Now, we've had two days to digest kind of what this team kind of is. And we've also all, all said ad nauseum that this will be the toughest test of the team. And also that we kind of felt that we will know more about this team after we played a Wake Forest team, an NC State team, and now playing Clemson on Saturday. So overall, Max, I'll start with you. How do you feel your outlook has changed from the first four games for the rest of the season? 
Or also, do you think that basically this team, I mean, it feels a little, not fraudulent, I think it's kind of more, that's an aggressive way to put it, but it definitely feels like you were saying earlier today how we overlooked a lot of the warts and flaws of this team after the first four games. So there's a couple things. One, I'm frustrated we're not 5-1. and one. Um, I'm okay with losing. Look, this because this has been thrown around too. Oh, well, you predicted 7-5, and 8-4 and four on a great year, and look, we lost a game. I get that. But I didn't predict us losing to NC State without Devin Leary for the entire second half while we had a chance to win it and us blowing it by throwing two picks on our two final drives with a quarterback who had an 8-1 to touchdown interception ratio prior to this game. I think it's a – I will say this. Um, and I know Ingram said this. I'm not just, like, stealing his thought from the Nolcast last night. But, like, you didn't – you shouldn't have beat Wake Forest. Like, there's this weird narrative of we should be – we could be 6-0 and if a couple things break differently against Wake. But, like, we got to beat that team. game. Wake Forest is a better team anyways. What? Wake Forest is a better team anyways. They are. They are. And, you look, but you had an expect – you had a 60% postgame win expectancy against NC State. Like, that's what I'm frustrated about. Now, has my outlook on the team changed? Not really. I, I, I still think this team – can beat any team left on their schedule except for Clemson. I, I've said that from the beginning. I, Clemson looks moder- looked winnable four weeks ago, but DJU is actually playing football now. He's throwing the ball well, which is scary. Um, they put up, what, 52 or 45 on, I think 52 on Wake. Uh, they put up a lot of points on the NC State defense that just held us to 17. Uh, I just don't think you're beating Clemson. But after that, I mean, yeah, it's it's going to be a week-to-week fight. But, yeah. You know, Florida looks admittedly worse than I thought they did after week one. They look horrible. Uh, Miami is trash. Well, the thing that sucks about Miami now is, like, it really sucks to lose to them. The only good thing about them being better would have been, like, if you lose to them, it's, like, not as embarrassing. And now if you lose to this Miami team, it's kind of like That's it's not just losing to Miami. It's like you're losing to the second-tier team that just you should not lose to. Um I, I guess did that answer the question? I don't know. Outlook-wise, I guess not much has changed. The one thing I feel like I know about this team now is that there's still growing pains in this rebuild. They they are still a team that maybe isn't comfortable being the favorite, like against Wake Forest. They're still a team that, you know, while they can mask deficiencies when other things are going really well, if multiple elements start to break down, they, they can't seem to escape. And that's okay in a rebuild. But I, I thought this was a team that would win that game 20 to 19. And we'd say, hey, look, even when everything shit the bed, they still found a way to just get out of that city with a win. And they showed they're not quite there in the rebuild yet, which I'm not going to blame one person in particular because I don't think it's one person's fault. It's just where the team is right now. Yeah, I'm glad you said what you said because my outlook has changed and not all that negatively. I thought I knew a bunch of stuff about this team after four weeks. I thought it was a large enough sample and I thought I'd seen enough of it in those games. I I think it's the case that there's a lot I don't know about this team that I thought I did know. So it's not that I think super negatively about this football team. I really just don't know what this football team is after watching that slow motion car accident on Saturday. Um, like, for example, I hadn't seen Jordan make a single throw like that. Is that stuff still in there? I don't know. I hadn't seen, I admittedly, I hadn't seen this defense overcome injuries to that degree and still bow its neck up. So is this actually a better defense? Are the younger players, the Joshua Farmers of the world, are the Patrick Paytons, 
are, are we actually ahead of schedule on defense with the younger guys we've recruited? Um, is the offensive line really, is the offensive line worse than I thought it was? Like, there are all these questions that I just don't know the answer to. I'm not going to pretend I do. And you're not going to hear anybody who actually does have answers to this. We're going to see it play out in the second half of the schedule. And that's a little scary because I don't know, know what to expect. I think it's really funny how you're like, I think I know, I think I know. I thought you were going to do the dodgeball part where he's like, I know what you thought. I knew what you thought. I, did, what you thought. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, I'm like, okay, Dave, where I, I see where you're going. But no, I mean, I think you guys are both right. I think my outlook hasn't really changed. It's one of the few things I did say at the beginning of the year was don't look at this team with rose colored glasses because all red flags simply disappear as flags. And as Max, Max has said, this team has been hit immensely by the injury bug. You see also, Dave, how you're saying how the young guys are stepping up. Joshua Farmer and Patrick Payton are outperforming players like Robert Cooper and Derek McClendon that we thought were going to be probably more some of your stalwarts actually overall on this team. And you've seen Jordan with the, while he did struggle in the game, the kid also was playing at an elite level the first four weeks. You're allowed to have bad games. Yeah. And Still I'm also drop not... adjusted 66% completion percentage. Just saying. He would have had another touchdown on the stat line and a few more first downs that could have culminated in touchdowns. Oh, yeah. No, that, no. First half, Jordan was good. I was more my problem was him with the second half because that second half was just wasn't good football from him overall. Everyone. Every, as a, everyone. And Drake, as a unit. At the beginning of the year, unit. right? Like you, you said, this is a show me year and you're halfway through it and you're four and two. I mean, you're showing us that you you can win football games, right? Because this is a team a year ago that didn't even beat the teams that they were paying money to come let them beat them. So the team is unquestionably better than last year. It's just how good are they going to be this year, right? And and I think what, what was so frustrating about Saturday and, and really painful, I mean, just what, what hurt was that loss went from this this could be a special season to this could be a good season. It's like, look, if you win the rest of your games minus Clemson, right, you're still, what is that, you win five games, you're still a nine-win team. It's pretty good. But people are going to look back and say, yeah, you're the team that ran it up on the bad teams and lost to the good teams. And, and that's not – maybe not entirely true, but that'll kind of suck. This was kind of your chance because – not saying before the game, but during the game when you had a 17-3 to lead and Devin Leary then gets knocked out like after throwing one more touchdown and you're up 17 – what, 17-10 to and Devin Leary leaves the game, that was your opportunity to really have a special season and say, okay – we got our marquee win, and we can win 10 games. Now it's like maybe you cobble together eight wins, and that's awesome. I'm going to be really proud of this team for that, but it's not a special year. It's funny you, It's funny you, the way you said that because you had a lot of fans, I think, who thought, oh, my God, maybe this can be like a 10-win team. Maybe we're way ahead of schedule. You played one football game this weekend, and suddenly I think you have a lot of people wondering, can this team still win eight games? It's funny how like you have that like two or it's three football, games. man. It's also I, the way we it's also the way we lost the game. I mean, that's yeah. just more it's like wow, that second half football was probably some of the worst football we've seen since Boise State second half, Jacksonville State second half. So it's one of those things where it's just like overall, like we just didn't look good as a unit for literally two hours of football. And also I think a lot of people were pissed off that uh Listen, the game was delayed for about 45 minutes. The game didn't end until around midnight, and that was miserable. Like I'm Max, I don't know how you felt in the stands, but watching that game probably at home, it was just miserable as hell. But, folks, you know who's not miserable? The three of us here finally getting back together to talk our favorite Florida State football program. Max, it's always great having you here. Please plug in your work. Tell everyone to follow you and also uh, basically check, out, check your stuff out. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Folks, you can find me at MaxMoody17 on Twitter and on YouTube, TikTok, uh, yeah, YouTube and TikTok at the Seminole Executive Brief. Seminole Executive Brief. Again, much different than this. We are a short form. We just give you the quick hits and send you on your way to Locked on Seminoles, which should be your first listen every day. Guys, thanks for having me. And Dave, podcast instruction, and also let the folks know what to do on YouTube. 
Guys, you can find us anywhere you get your podcast, but you already know this because you're listening to us. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google Play, and there's other ones I haven't heard of that you can find us on. Um, on YouTube, give the video a like if you liked it, which you should. Um, subscribe to the channel and ding that little bell at the top, turn on your notifications. But also, and most importantly to me, leave us a comment. What did I get wrong today? Uh, what did we get right? Um, what do? You, what, how do you feel? How are you feeling? about this football team, the second half of the season. And why is this guy not falling? Just write it out. I promise you it's cathartic to write it out. Most importantly, folks, please tell Dave what he got wrong because I love to read comments where basically you just trash Dave's takes and it's wonderful and it's therapeutic for myself. It's great. But for Max, for Dave, this was Drake. And we'll see you all next time on Locked on Sentinels. Take care, everybody. It's Turbo Time.